From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Any new season brings a sense of great promise and possibility, but especially when it's the beginning of a new regime. Dan Mullen will lead the Gators out of the tunnel for the first time as head coach on Saturday night, hoping to create something fresh while also capturing some of the magic of yesteryear that he shared in as the offensive coordinator during the Tebow era. On today's show, we'll begin by assessing the 2018 squad from every angle with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. Then, we'll hear how redshirt senior tight end R.J. Raymond used a staggering multi-generational connection to UF and relentless hard work to make his football dreams come true. But first, a new coaching staff has to make a multitude of decisions when taking over a program, encompassing everything from practice structure to the depth chart. But there's little question that one of the biggest decisions that any football coach can make is who will take the snaps under center. Success at the most important position on the field has eluded the Gators for almost a decade, and one of the primary reasons Dan Mullen was hired was to elevate the quarterback position back to an elite level. As we begin our wide-ranging preview of the 2018 season with Scott and Chris, we begin by discussing how Felipe Franks won the starting job and what it means for the future. Well, Adam, if you watched it this closely, I don't think anybody should be surprised that Felipe Franks is the guy. He's got the most experience. I think that's probably his greatest advantage in this battle. And, you know, you look at the three guys with him and Kyle Trask and Emory Jones. I mean, his skill set is the most appealing of the three. I think if you listen closely to, you know, what Dan Mullen has said, I mean, even the other day after he made the announcement, he said that he can just make throws on pure talent that other guys can't make. And, you know, I went into this thing knowing that quarterback battles are so common in football. Coaches, players are going to, they're almost like on default setting at the start of camp. So that through the whole thing, you look at little, is there any uh, variance off that default setting to give you a hit that another guy is really jumping up? And I never saw that throughout spring or fall. There was a little bit of buzz. Trask had a, a good second scrimmage and that, you know, people thought, oh, well, maybe Kyle Trask. But if you, if you go back and look at it really closely, I think, Felipe Franks always had the leg up. I think he gives the Gators, as Dan Mullen said, the best chance to win right now. And I think that's why he's the starter. It's simple as that. He's got the most experience. I think he's ahead of the other two guys, and I think Dan Mullen feels that they can win some games with him. Yeah, and I, experience is obviously a, a key there because you, the other two candidates, Kyle Trask and Emory Jones, have never played in a collegiate football game. Felipe Franks, say what you will about uh, the season he had last year. He has been on the field. He has thrown passes. He has thrown a few touchdowns in Southeastern Conference play. Another thing that Dan Mullen pointed out, too, was Felipe Franks' ability to extend plays. And that may be key, Adam, given what's what we've seen so far from the offensive line. They, you know, Until the offensive line can show that it, that it can protect on a consistent basis, and maybe it will. It wasn't obviously great last year. And it hasn't been great so far in scrimmages. But uh, the quarterback position, Felipe Franks, will we'll have to maybe use his legs a little bit, use his ability to find open spaces there behind the line of scrimmage and may extend plays to find that extra receiver. But um, Kyle Trask is a guy who, even in his time when he's been here, he wasn't able to stay 
relatively, he wasn't able to stay healthy. So, yeah, yeah. So we never got to see him. And I'll say this in the spring, I wasn't overwhelmed by any stretch of the imagination by uh, Emory Jones's ability to, to complete passes, but I, he's thrown some nice balls in the preseason. And uh, I, I think he's improved there. And that's a guy I wouldn't be totally surprised if they didn't roll something out for him, a special package. Um, I don't have any knowledge of that, certainly. But when you look back to um, uh, when Dan Mullen was here as quarterback coach and offensive coordinator uh, in 2006, Tim Tebow was a freshman. They certainly had some special packages for his special ability. So that could be a possibility for Emory Jones. But right now, it's all on uh, Felipe Franks to go out there and and just show that he's worthy of the confidence of not only his head coach, but also of his teammates who, to a man, they say they have his back. It'd also be interesting to see, you mentioned, Chris, the idea that the special packages, it seems like that could also be affected by this new rule change, which is going to allow freshmen to appear in up to four games and still be given a red shirt if they don't play any more than that. So, you know, for Dan Mullen and every other coach in the country, you can roll out Emory Jones in some some special packages at various points. And as long as you don't exceed that playing time, you know, you can still have that red shirt in your back pocket. So that seems to give them flexibility to maybe try some things with someone like Emory Jones. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic rule, probably way too long in coming. Um, at the same time, I kind of see that more as a uh, college football version of uh, what they do in Major League Baseball when they expand rosters. I, I, I may hold that that card as something late in the season, injury situation, bowl game, looking ahead to next year, that kind of thing. Of course, that's a delicate balance when you got the end of somebody's career, senior year, you don't want to just replace them with some freshman or what have you but uh you're absolutely right if they wanted to do that early on in the season and see what it was I don't know that I'd waste that in a game with Charleston Southern but uh uh, that is something that maybe we could see over the course of the Southeastern Conference season but I do like the rule that you referenced and uh, I think we'll see it more late in the season than early in the season there's no question that the quarterback decision was the thing that popped out for most people when that depth chart was released on Monday. I guess for you guys, the degree to which you are locked in on this team, you're looking at a lot of different spots, and I'm sure there were things that, that piqued your interest. What on the depth chart maybe surprised you the most or caught your attention outside of the obvious being that signal caller? The Elijah Conliffe moving ahead of Kerry Clark and those tackle. I mean, Kerry's the veteran there. But Elijah Conliffe is obviously a talent that Todd Grantham and uh, Sal Sinceri like. So he's he gets the nod there. Uh, you know, on the, the Russian, you, you got Ja'Kai Polite, who Mullen raved about uh, during camp, calls him a phenomenal pass rusher. And he's ahead of, you know, C.C. Jefferson. But we knew that C.C. may be slowed a little bit after offseason shoulder injury. We'll see how that plays out Saturday, you know, uh, I do like Polito just from watching a, a scrimmage. I mean, he was the most dominant player on the defense from the time I was out there. He was getting uh, to the back of the quarterback consistently. And as Chris mentioned earlier, some of that has to do with this offensive line. They're going to have to be better in protection. But there's no doubt that Polite is a, a talent. Otherwise, I mean, I think most of the talk was at safety because it's such an unknown. So you're going to have, what, Donovan Steiner, Jawan Taylor, uh, they're they're going to be tested early in that role that has produced some good players in recent years and and guys like Keanu Neal and and Brian Poole and Duke Dawson a lot of guys have floated through back there and now you got a couple of young guys uh, but you know with the corners uh, C J Henderson and Marco Wilson those are guys locked down and if there's one other position Adam that raised my eyebrow not really but Jordan Scarlett I mean he automatically assumes the top spot again. 
ahead of guys like uh, Michael P. Ryan, Malik Davis. Uh, not really a surprise, but it just shows you how good of a player, quite frankly, how big of a loss he was to this team in 2017. Yeah, obviously, the wide receiver position is probably the best it's been in 10 years um, since those uh, great Urban Meyer teams or what have you. Um, you know, the, the news... Um, not really surprising, but certainly good news of a couple weeks ago that Van Jefferson and Trayvon Grimes, the transfers from Ole Miss and Ohio State, respectfully, would uh, be eligible immediately. That's that's going to really bolster a unit that, you know, quite frankly, you got guys like Josh Hammond, you have guys like uh, Dre Massey, you have guys like Freddie Swain. These are these are pretty good players that uh, couldn't get the football. In any other system that would that could throw the ball, and obviously they couldn't throw the ball very well last year under the previous staff, we, we would know a lot more, and I think we would have seen a lot more from those guys. Now you roll Jefferson, you roll Grimes into that mix. I think this has the, the potential to be a uh, you know a, a, an explosive wide receiver core, assuming Felipe Franks can get him the ball and the offensive line holds the protection. To piggyback on what Scott said relative to the running backs, Adam, I'm stunned at how good Malik Davis has looked uh, for a guy who blew out his knee in the Georgia game last year to be back in less than 10 months and have the mobility that he has. I don't know how much he's going to play. So certainly early on, they may want to give it a little more rest. He's going to get some, but he's going to play in season opener. Uh, he looks really good. I, I mean, Jordan Scarlett has been the, the first team back. Guy rushed for almost 900 yards two years ago, six touchdowns. Malik Davis will be that change of pace guy that can get in there and be with a little more um, elusiveness. And that may be important where this offensive line is right now. But when you have him, and uh, Scott mentioned P. Ryan, and I'll mention one of that, Damian Pierce. Pierce is one of the best running backs ever to play in the state of Georgia. Everyone thought he was going to go to Georgia because he went to the same high school as Kirby Smart. <laughs> and uh, he ends up coming to Florida, and we're going to see him down the line. This guy is a unique-looking uh, young man. Looks like a, a mini refrigerator. But he, he rushed over 2,000 yards as a high school player, and I think he's a guy that they're going to take a look at. He was going through some freshman growing pains as far as um, knowing where he's supposed to be, offense, some pass blocking and stuff. But he, he's going to come around, and he's a guy I think we're going to see a little bit of. You talk about depth and what have you, wide receiver, um, running back, those skill position players. Florida has some players this year if they can get, if they can get the ball to the guy and they can get him some uh, room to go. So, Chris, you just gave us a freshman who may have a chance to emerge at some point behind some established stars. But every year, there's there's always freshmen that are called on in critical roles who are needed right off the bat to contribute. I'm curious for, for each of you, who is a new name that you expect to be in a really important spot for the Gators right off the bat? I do think we're going to see Emory Jones at least on some level early to see what he can do. And if there's a situation where he, when he comes in and he does help out, I think that could extend through the season. I mean, as Chris mentioned, obviously Tebow may be a different talent at this level, but it, there was never any doubt that he was going to be a contributor throughout the season once they started using him. And, uh, you know, maybe Emory Jones is that kind of guy. Uh, I think Damian Pierce is another guy we could see, as Chris just mentioned, uh, that those are the offensive guys. Defensively, David Reese, uh, not the one that we're familiar with, the, the linebacker, but the uh, defensive back from Vero Beach area. You know, the guys have really talked about him, how physically advanced he is for a, a player that's new to the program. Uh, as we like to say, certainly passes the eye test. He fits in physically, uh, looks better than maybe some of the guys who are returning. Uh, it's just a matter of what role they have for him, how quick he 
can pick up some of the schemes, but uh, it won't surprise me at all if David Reese has some kind of uh, uh, impact with the defense as a first-year player. I'll go with Trey Dean in the cornerback position. That guy has been... Yeah. yeah, Scott would have said, I think Scott blanked a little bit, but Trey. <laughs> <laughs> He's calling out Scott on week number one of the podcast, man. No, no. He, I mean, he pointed at me when I brought it. But yeah, Trey, Trey Dean had a hell of a spring, and he's been pretty good in the in the fall, and he debuted a backup cornerback. So as, in terms of a true freshman, he, he has a chance to really be an impact player. I'm going to throw a name out. Um, I don't know how the place kicker, uh, situation is going to go. We know Jorge Powell, the fifth-year senior, is uh, the leader in the clubhouse right now, but Evan McPherson is a true freshman from Alabama. He was one of the most uh, recruited kickers in the country last season, and um, I wouldn't rule him out as somebody. I don't know what's going to happen with Jorge Powell. Okay, We just haven't seen enough of him kicking. He's kicked three career field goals, 11 career extra points, so we'll see what happens with Jorge Powell, but Evan McPherson is a guy. They had a little bit of a kicking competition between them. Um, McPherson came in. I think he was a little nervous at first, but he's he's come around with a little more consistency, and uh, the coaches may want to roll him out there just to see you know what kind of guts he has on on, on Saturday with, with the lights on and, uh, and the crowd in the stands. So it's almost like Chris read my mind, which doesn't usually happen. Special teams, that's something that Dan Mullen came in and immediately said, we're going to put a renewed focus on this because a lot of the numbers for Florida, special teams-wise, last few years have not been very pretty. So how do we expect that to, to take shape in terms of that renewed focus on special teams? Huge, huge emphasis if you've been out to practice. I mean, these guys are working on it. Dan Mullen was here when Florida was great on special teams for a stint. Uh, his teams at Mississippi State were good on special teams. And you know, I have all the reaction on social media during camp, I think with the day that he really talked heavy about special teams, I mean, that, that drew a lot of attention from fans because, boy, they were bad the last uh, couple of years. I mean, this is a program that I want to say blocked 32 kicks under Urban Meyer. And the last couple of years, I, I think they maybe have one or something. I mean, <laughs> it's it's been a non-existent part of the game for the Gators. And and it's such an important part of the game. And uh, I think a lot of it, if you really talk to coaches and players, I mean, it's just about emphasizing it, practicing it. And, I mean, there's always going to be some luck whenever you block a kick or something. But you got to work at it. It's got to be important to you. And it's certainly important to this staff. Greg Knox is the, uh, besides running backs coach, he's the uh, special teams coordinator. And he's heavily involved in that every day of practice. Dan Mullen's involved. And I think uh, the players understand that that's a, a more uh, serious part of the game maybe than they're used to under the previous staff. If you go to practice and when Mullen huddles up the team at the end of practice, he talks about special teams all the time. Yep. And Greg Knox, and they legitimately consider it a third of, of the game. And when you think about the hidden yardage involved in special teams, and Scott mentioned the lack of block kicks, hell, what about a good punt return? Oh, yeah. I mean, I just think back to watching Brandon Powell field a, a punt and fall down for a yard or something. And, hey, and I, did you see Brandon Powell's 80-yard yeah. <laughs> punt return touchdown yeah. with the Lions doing <laughs> ice where, where was that? You know, he looked good. Yes, yeah, yeah. When he, yeah. When's the kickoff return? I still go back to Muschamps last year when Missouri ran a punt and a kickoff back for touchdowns in a, in a homecoming win here for Missouri in that game. But uh, um, it's an important facet of the game, obviously, and not just kicking long field goals like Eddie Pinheiro gave uh, the Gators or but uh, they're going to have to uh, expect something or get something from the punter. 
Tommy Townsend uh, is Johnny Townsend's uh, younger brother, transfer from Tennessee. Johnny Townsend was maybe the best punter in the country last year. Both he and Eddie Pinheiro are kicking, punting. Townsend's holding for Pinheiro for John Gruden and the Oakland Raiders right now. That's a, I mean, that that says all you need to know about how good those two guys were. They got to replace them both. But uh, you're talking about kicking, you're talking about punting, you're talking about coverage, you're talking about impact, splash, change uh, field position plays. Florida is putting an emphasis on them uh, that it seems that they have like they haven't done in a while. And I'm sure the fans would love to see something happen uh, that first night, but certainly as the games get more meaningful um, as the season progresses. Yeah, and to that effect, it's hard to take that much away from a game against Charleston Southern, if we're being honest here. But obviously, there are still takeaways. There's things coaches are looking for. There's things fans want to see. For you guys, what are you going to look for this weekend? What are you trying to take away, first and foremost, from this Gators opener? I'm looking for like a a 60 to nothing game or something like that. And I don't mean to put pressure on Dan Mullen or something, but I'm just looking at what happened last year. Mississippi State, Dan Mullen's team opened against Charleston Southern. They won 49 nothing. Charleston Southern is an FCS program from the Big South Conference. They went to Indiana and lost 27 nothing. They played a ranked team in their uh, classification, Kennesaw State. I believe that score was 38 nothing. They didn't score against the best teams they played last season. I don't know if Charleston Southern is better than they were last year. I, I can't tell you one player on Charleston Southern. I, I, I'm sure uh, for Florida's players, they're going to line up and make it a nameless, faceless kind of thing. They got to execute and make things exciting and get the and get the fans uh, jacked up, get some success going with the offense, and you know treat Charleston Southern like like the opponent they're supposed to be. I know that may sound a little cruel, but uh, you know let's face it, the the fans here want to see some fireworks. They will care who they're against right now. But they certainly want to have something to get them interested from the get-go in Dan Mullen's first game. I think that would be the best thing that could happen. One of the things you don't want to happen, I go back to some of those first Will Muschamp games, Toledo, what is it, like 24 to 10 or something like that. And there was nothing to get excited about or you just left wanting a lot more. And I think Dan Mullen probably has an understanding of what's expected of this first game and will probably try to get it within the realms of sportsmanship. Yeah, I mean, these are... Put on a show game. That's what you want out of these kind of games. And Dan Mullen has really put on a good show the last nine months as he's re-energized the fan base. And he's done everything you could ask from a head coach at this level to try to make the program coming off a four and seven season uh, interesting, exciting. Trying to get people to care uh, the way they care when things are at their best. And uh, now the next step, the biggest step, is going out and putting out a good performance against Charleston Southern, and don't make the careless mistakes that you know you've seen in the past. Play a clean game and just have people leave feeling good about Game Two against Kentucky, and just most importantly, Game One under Dan Mullen. Final question for you guys: It's our PAT, and I want to start by reflecting back on uh, the time that we have uh, we've lost. We haven't we haven't done this in in a couple months. And I know that you guys have done lots of interesting things. Chris went and celebrated a Stanley Cup victory. Uh, Scott did something I, I hope as interesting as that. But uh, a lot of time off, a lot of time to just sort of simmer over the summer. I want to know the best or most interesting thing that you saw, that you read, anything that really captured your attention since the, uh, the, the last time that we spoke on Gator Tales. The most spectacular thing I saw over my summer was uh, Crater Lake in Oregon. My family went on a vacation. My wife, daughter, and I went, took in Lassen Volcanic National Park in Northern California, then zipped over to Redwoods National Park 
and then went up to uh, Crater Lake in Oregon. And it's the deepest, cleanest, clearest lake in the world. The, it has the world record. They dropped a, a, a marker down. You could see 142 feet down into the lake. And it's just a spectacular place. Um, we love national parks. We bounce around there. And uh, we spent uh, four, four days in Crater Lake, climbed just about everything you could climb, walked just about every trail you could possibly do. And, uh, you know, Oregon is notoriously known for its, for its poor weather. But if you go in June and July, you got a great shot. I never saw one raindrop. So uh, 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 we had clear blue skies the whole time. And I would go back there in a second in June or July, of course. Uh, we were there for the, in Portland for the PK-80 shootout last year and never saw the sun. So uh, it was kind of a nice escape. Uh, from the Florida humidity, and um, that was my highlight of my summer by far. And um, you know, it kind of got me rejuvenated to come back here and uh, watch a little football and get ready for a little basketball. But we'll talk about that down the line. You know, unfortunately, I didn't go to Crater Lake. I did see some of Chris's pictures, and it looks beautiful—a place that looks very uh, worthwhile to visit. For us, you know, Adam, still with uh, a couple of little ones, uh, they're getting older, and we're starting to get back out on the road again, but. The highlight for me was clearly just to take a break. I mean, I don't have any great exciting story about like meeting Taylor Swift or, <laughs> or going to a, a Guns N' Roses concert in London. Uh, what I did, oh, was just went over to the beach. And this is a, a little plug for the Panhandle of Florida because I've been in Florida for 30 some years and I've been all around this state. I've stayed pretty much in every area at some point lived in a lot of the areas but i've never really spent any if i when i grew up if i went to the beach it was always on the atlantic coast new smyrna beach cocoa beach i lived over on the atlantic coast for a while then i was in tampa clearwater beach siesta key all those places but so we got away this summer went up to fort walton beach which i'd never been uh it was just a nice relaxing week up there the beaches are beautiful went over to destin for a day or two just to check out that little touristy uh, but I like the laid-back approach of uh, Fort Walton Beach. Basically, what I did, Adam, was laid on the beach, watched the kids play, did nothing. That's going to sound boring to a lot of our, our listeners. That's really probably just getting away because, you know, this thing never stops. I mean, college athletics, there's not an off-season like there used to be. Uh, so it was really just refreshing to do something like that and to take a break and read some books. And uh, that's about it. Nothing, nothing too fancy. My summer, at least uh, at the very end of it, was more in line with uh, with what Chris did. I was actually lucky enough to go on a, a European cruise with my girlfriend's family and got to see Iceland and Scotland and Norway and Denmark and really really cool places that uh, I haven't done a lot of traveling outside the U.S. I've been I've been to every SEC campus multiple times, um, but a, a rare opportunity to get out and see more of the world. Uh, through the lens of a Disney cruise ship. So I have pictures of volcanoes, I have pictures of waterfalls, and I have pictures with Mickey Mouse. So it kind of it covers the, the, the entire range there. But I uh, highly recommend if people have an opportunity to, to get overseas and see some of those places. Kind of like Chris was talking about, there's a lot of natural beauty out in the world that we sometimes miss when we're so caught up in going to stadiums and arenas and movie theaters. But there are some things you can see that will... Uh, Will blow your mind, not just uh, not just around the world, but right right here at home and in various parts of the country. So, I uh, cannot recommend exploring enough. Now that I've uh, had a chance to do a little bit of that myself, you and Chris had better vacations than I did. So I'm going to have to do <laughs> something next year to catch up. I don't know what it's going to be, but 
I'm going to have to have a better answer next next time. I know that having a chance to relax is very valuable given the, uh, the, the ringer that you guys get put through. So do not feel any shame about your relaxation. Well, we know that you guys are about to be uh, totally immersed in everything Gator football, and we encourage fans to check out all of that content, which will be going up on FloridaGators.com. You can also, of course, follow them on Twitter at Gators Scott, at Gators Chris. They will have you covered from start to finish throughout opening weekend, of course, throughout the entire season in Gainesville. So, gentlemen, thank you so much as always. Happy to get it started, and we'll be back at it next week. All right. Thanks, Adam. See you, Adam. Every Gator understands what it means to bleed orange and blue, but the age of that blood can vary. While some are new to the Gator Nation, others have had that blood in their family for generations. There's a good chance your roots aren't as deep as R.J. Raymond's, whose ties to Florida date back to the 19th century. Naturally, the walk-on tight end has wanted to be a Gator his whole life and was willing to do almost anything to make his dreams of playing in the swamp come true. We spoke to R.J. about his hard-scrabble journey through the Gator program and the culmination of his dedication but begin by discussing that remarkable orange and blue family tree. I didn't really know how big the lineage was until, you know, I was, I think I was like 15 or 16 is when my dad, mom and dad told me about it. But um, I always knew my grandfather was, uh, he went to school here and was a, a huge gator. And of course my dad was a, uh, a pretty solid kicker here. He still holds a few records. Um, but, you know, like I said, when I was 15, maybe 16, I'm, I'm not sure. My parents told me that my great-grandfather and great-grandfather also went here. My great-great-grandfather was a professor, and he went here. My great-grandfather was a captain of the basketball team. And then, like I mentioned, my grandfather, he just he was just went to school here as a student. And then my dad walked on in 81 or 82 it's been nothing but a dream to be here and be able to play for this, you know, incredible university. I've bleed orange and blue. I've grown up this way. I've sat in my parents' tickets ever since I can remember. So it's just been something I've wanted to do for my entire life. You were a great lacrosse player in high school. And I know you strongly considered college lacrosse as your career instead of football. What ultimately pushed you to pursue football? When I was, I actually transferred schools going into my senior year. and. Um, up until then, you know, I had always played football and was pretty good at it. And then I'd focus really a little bit more on lacrosse than I did football. Um, and, you know, that's where my dad and I would travel and go out of town during the summer and play in a bunch of tournaments like that. And then when I transferred my senior year there, the football team at the school was a lot better than the team at the previous high school that I attended. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to stop playing football. I love playing football. So I'm going to go here and give it a shot and see what happens. And I ended up excelling tremendously on the football field there and um, started getting some, you know, some small schools here and there towards the end of my senior season. And, um, you know, D2, D3 schools and a couple um, one double A schools were interested. And then lacrosse being in Florida, it's during the spring. So, I had not really had anything set as far as, all right, this is where I'm going to go. And by the time lacrosse season had started. And so then about halfway into lacrosse season, my dad and I were talking to some people at Florida. And sure enough, about two weeks later, three weeks later, they um, gave me a call and said, you know, we got a spot for you as a preferred walk-on and uh, we'd love to have you. And so from from there, I just kind of 
there, there was no way I was going to pass that opportunity up. So I, uh, I continued, I finished playing lacrosse, but I, you know, ultimately made that decision and knew this is where I was going to go. So once you got onto campus, you were the offensive scout team MVP your freshman year, but you didn't get into any games. What did you learn about playing at the next level just from being in those practices and working with the scout team? Well, it's just, it's a completely different game going from the high school level to the college level, especially here in the SEC. You know, everything is so intense and so fast and your level of play has to increase across the entire board. Um, and that was the biggest difference for me, I, I would say, is that learning how to play and play at this level and the seriousness that it takes and, you know, the, the focus in meetings. Because in high school, you know, you're not really in, in meetings for too long before practice or anything. It's just kind of like, all right, this is what the other team does. Here's how we're going to play it. You know, you're in meetings for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. But here it's, you know, you're in meetings for daily you know for an hour or so and watching film and having to know exactly what this person does and so I guess playing on the scout team that first year and most of this or all of the second year as well helped me adjust to the speed of the game and learn my role on the team I guess and my role in the defense and that helped me learn how important each and every single person's role on the team is um and that you know goes with defensive scheme and offensive scheme and learning how to play this high of a level um if that answers your question sure absolutely so when you accepted that role as a preferred walk-on that was under coach Muschamp, and then he was let go after one year that you were there so you had to start all over again in terms of proving yourself to a new staff can you take us through that process and, and what that was like for you well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's always very interesting. You never know, especially when a new coach is hired. I've been, this is my third staff since yeah. I've been here, but um, you never know what you, you always hear, you know, hearsay of, from people around the country and, you know, the media about how this person runs a program and, you know, this and that, but you never really know anything until that staff shows up. So when coach McElwain got here, I just, you know, did the same thing. I had the same mindset and the same goals that I'd set forth when I was first coming here with Coach Muschamp, and um, I was just going to put my head down, work as hard as I can, and try to take this thing as far as I can take it. And um, I didn't really say, you know, if I don't get to play within a year, I'm going to transfer anything. I was just, I knew I wanted to be here regardless and get a degree from here. So I just put my head down and didn't listen to what anything had to say and, and worked as hard as I possibly can. And yeah, it worked out pretty well for me under Coach Mack. I got some playing time in his second and third year here. So it was pretty cool. So yeah, you, you did prove yourself and you got that playing time back in 2016. And, and then at that point in the next spring of 2017, you were given a scholarship, but then the scholarship was taken away before the start of the 2017 season. How difficult right. was that? I know it's, it might surprise people to hear that. How difficult was that? And, and how did you respond to it? You know, it was pretty difficult. It wasn't easy for sure. But I mean, Again, I knew what I brought to the table, and I didn't let it bother me, even if anybody had anything to say. I just stayed true to myself and stayed true to my goals and did exactly what I did the whole previous two and a half years that I was I was here. I just put my head down and studied and showed up on time and kept working working my butt off, and um, it ended up paying off pretty well. But it, it wasn't an easy situation to deal with, but in the end of the day, I'm here. I'm very blessed with this opportunity whether it be on scholarship or not. So I knew that I still had the ability to play and I wasn't going to let it affect me and affect, you know, my future. 
I think a lot of people would hear your story to this point and say, okay, if that were me, I, I probably would have said, well, I, I don't want to be here anymore, right? So what is it in you? Where do you think it comes from, that dedication, that commitment to just keep putting your head down when so many other people would have said, okay, th- these are enough signs from the universe that maybe I shouldn't be doing this? Well, I mean, like I said, growing up, I wanted to be here. Like, this is my dream come true. And um, I started as a walk-on and, you know, going back to not having a scholarship after it was taken away, you know, that, that didn't really phase me, I guess. Um, I don't really know. I, I guess my dad is where um, that drive and that um, dedication comes from. He always taught me at a young age that if you're going to do something, you you don't do anything halfway. You know, you everything that you do, you're going to start and you're going to finish it and um, you're going to do it to the best of your ability. And so that's what I thought, you know, that's that's the mindset I guess I took going into that is um, I started this thing, I'm going to finish it out. And um, yeah, that's that's just where I guess I get the dedication from. The next twist in your story came last season where after Coach Mack let go, you had to decide, okay, well, do I come back for my redshirt year and finish up my eligibility or do I go ahead and just move on? And you chose to go through senior day thinking that that, that was the end of the road for you football-wise. But now here we are talking the week of the opener and you're about to get on the field. So tell us how we got from that point to this point. Well, yeah, I was I graduated in December. So um, that was a big deciding point or a big factor in my decision was that, you know, I'm going to I'm coming back. It's my last I'm here through December. Anyways, um, I've gone this far. I've accomplished this many things. I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to give up now, but um the reason for that decision was, you know, I knew as a walk-on that it's pretty tough having gone through it to start with the new coaching stuff, you know, because mm. and, and not to the, any coach's fault or not, you know, saying anything about walk-ons and scholarship players. It's just how it is, is that the scholarship players are above the walk-ons. And, you know, when every coach starts, that's just how it is. That's how it works. And that's how it should work. But, you know, I was like, I, I can't, I can't give up on this thing now. I saw, especially when I saw that coach Mullen was hired, I loved what he did here at Florida. You know, those were the, I guess the times when he was here were the times when the Gators were doing their best. And that was when I was the biggest fan, I guess, not that I haven't been a big fan, but you know, (laughs) that's when I, I followed it the heaviest and I knew the depth chart all the way through the, the third team. And I, went to every game as poss- as I possibly could. I, my dad even took me down to the 08 National Championship. So I loved what he did here, and I saw and heard about what was going on at Mississippi State and how successful he was there. And I told myself, you know, I'd be kicking myself if I if I left. Who knows what could happen if I stay? You know, here I am with a, a scholarship, and, you know, I'm, I'm about to get some significant playing time this year. So I'm glad that I made the right decision. Well, 100,000 people plus have watched the video, but can you take us through the moment when you found out that you were getting a scholarship for your final season? Is that something you were expecting or was that a complete shock? Um, It was a complete shock, to be honest with you. Um, It was that moment in practice when Coach brought us up there, brought Nick and I up in front of the team. You know, I thought before the video kind of shows moments right before leading up to that and, you know, what you said right before that. But right before that, happened he was talking about each person's role on the team and that we were at the end of camp and um we we're finishing up camp and he was talking about that it's about to become game week and everybody has to understand their roles within the team and you know how a scout team player 
you know, what his role, that his role is almost even more important than the starter's role because they're essentially preparing us to play the team. And so he was just going through talking about roles. And then that's when you see the video that the Gators football uh, Instagram account posted. And he was like, you know, Nick and RJ, you guys have one of the most important roles on the team is the shield on, on our punt unit. And um, that's, you know, it's not fair that you guys are walk-ons. You have scholarships. And that was a complete surprise to me. I thought he was just using Nick and I as a, an example of two roles on the team that aren't necessarily considered starters on the team, but have a very important role. So it was a completely out of the blue, completely. I had no idea it was coming. I'm very thankful that it, it did that he did do that i'm very grateful for it and uh you know, it was just a, it's a big blessing to me and my family. You told us a little bit about your dad. He was a walk-on kicker his entire career. What was it like calling your parents, sharing that information and, and the emotion that went into that? When I called him, I called my mom first and uh she was actually with my dad and with my grandma um at my grandmother's house. And so I got to tell them all at the same time on speakerphone and they were all jumping up and down and screaming and so, you know, it was just cool. It was a uh, you know, fortunately, my family and I are, you know, blessed to where I'm not relying. A, I wasn't my whole career relying a, a thousand percent on student loans. And so we were able to afford college. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's no matter how much, you know, how well off your family is, it's still a blessing to have a full ride scholarship to such a prestigious university. It just means the world. It helps out incredibly the financial situation. And um, it also just it lets me know that everything that I've done hasn't gone, you know, just brushed under the table, you know, showing up early and never being late and working out as hard as I possibly can and studying film like that. It just shows that it doesn't, it didn't go unnoticed. And, um, that was a, I guess a big weight off my shoulders, a relief to me. The term walk-on can be used almost dismissively by some people, but a walk-on just won the Heisman. It was the number one pick in the NFL draft. So do you feel like that the success of a guy like Baker Mayfield maybe changes the perception of walk-ons and what they can do for a team? Oh, definitely. I mean, there's a bunch of, you know, Twitter accounts of the walk-ons of, you know, I've seen them all over the, like the walk-ons at Mississippi State and the walk-ons, you know, they have all their Twitter accounts. And when he went first overall, I saw a bunch of people tweeting about it, that he was, you know, a former walk, former two-time walk-on and that it just gives us, you know, gives the walk-ons a, a star, a, a shining light to where, you know, they're, they're not often, I guess, highlighted like that. And it just lets you, lets everybody know that if you put your head down and um, strive for the goals and, you know, write out goals that you want, that anything's possible. I mean, you look at Baker Mayfield, he's not a very big guy or anything. He's, I want to say maybe six foot, um, not, you know, the typical first overall quarterback. He doesn't have those intangibles. So, you know, it just gives everybody, you know, hope. And even the guys that, you know, didn't, their careers didn't start out as, you know, freshman All-American and freshman All-Conference, stuff like that, that there's still, there's still hope to, to achieve your goals. Outside of football, what are some things that you enjoy doing when you get some time, which I imagine is not very often? Yeah, not not too often in uh, Division One. But when I get some time, luckily in Jacksonville is pretty close where I'm I'm from. I grew up around out at the beach. I like to go to the beach and and go fishing and um, just hang out and relax. Um, really, that's what I like to spend my off time. Just kind of get my head away from the game and kind of reset and relax a little bit couple final things to bring you back into the game because that's obviously what's on everybody's minds right now. Uh, fans are so anxious to see what the team and especially the offense will do under Coach Mullen. What should everyone expect in terms of what this offense will look like, at least early? 
Um, I think the fans are going to see that this we we're going to play hard. If the game is three to nothing and with a minute to go in the fourth quarter, or fifty six to nothing, we're going to be going as hard as we possibly can. Every single rep out there, you're going to this team is we're going to play for each other and come together as a team more and more than we have already as the season progresses. And that each we're just going to start playing for each other and. Um, just playing as hard as we possibly can. So I think that's what the fans can expect to see from the offense and the whole entire team. With Felipe being named the starting quarterback, how have you seen him grow from last year to this year? I mean, Felipe does an incredible job on and off the field, just working. And he, you know, he and I always are always going at it in the weight room, just being the competitive guys that we are. So I think that has helped him progress as his competitive nature um, he's he's progressed wonderfully. You know, everybody started in the spring with, you know, nobody. There wasn't people who have been under Coach Mullen's offense or the defense for, you know, three years coming in as a senior. Everybody started from scratch and had to learn. Um, so I think his competitive nature and wanting to be the best and never wanting to lose at, at anything um, is what helped him progress to become to be named the starter this week. As far as you're concerned, where should fans look for you on the field in week one, and what are your expectations for the opener? I think we're, as far as the opener goes, um, I think we're going to come out and just play really hard and play together as a team, and I think it's we're really going to see how good we're going to be because, you know, like we said, we you know when, when it gets into camp, you're playing against each other every single day, and it kind of gets repetitive at some point that, you know, when you're seeing the same exact guys for 25 straight practices um it gets repetitive and you kind of pick up on people's tendencies so it's going to be interesting and we're going to see how good we can actually be as as far as the whole team goes um week one and then i've been playing with the tight ends since the spring started so you'll see me as a working with the tight ends all season long and then obviously my roles on special teams well we know you'll be flying all over the place rj and what we're really happy for you you have a great story and we certainly wish you a lot of luck during your senior season well thank you so much i appreciate it And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Make sure you catch the start of the Dan Mullen era on Saturday night against Charleston Southern at 7.30 on the SEC Network and the Gator IMG Sports Network. We'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in the swamp.